We're going to jump into today's message, and last week, I'm going to do a recap because I know last week people were traveling, and some are gone this week, and if you missed last week, please go and watch it online, but I'm going to do a really uh, quick recap. Last week, as the message was titled, Welcome Home, and, and we looked in the, pa- in, in the Bible at a great passage, and it was found in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, David, the years that, uh, once you get the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, I had a photo up last week, but really the Ark had the, 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 law, the law of God in it and the tablets that Moses wrote and the ark was symbolic to Israel as literally God's throne, heavenly throne here on earth. It was the, in a sense for them, the, the manifest presence of God. Where, wherever the ark went, God went. And so David goes to go retrieve the, retrieve the ark from the, from the house of Uzzah and his family and bring it back to Jerusalem, to the city of David and to put it in a temple. And so as he goes out to do that, they, they get an ox with a cart and they put the ark on the cart and and what happens is as they're going and dancing and singing, the, the, the ox, ox stumbles and the cart begins to flip and the ark begins to slide down and Uzzah reaches out and touches it. Now the, in the law, you could not touch the ark. Why? Because the ark was holy and as he touched the ark, he died. That's so important because sometimes every right thing is not a God thing. Might be right in our eyes, but might be wrong in God's eyes. But David gets angry and he says, God is mad at me and he's angry and he goes, we can't bring the ark to Jerusalem. So what do they do? They go to the house of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom was a Levite. And so they take the ark to Obed-Edom and Obed-Edom's family welcomes the ark. They make room for the ark. And guess what? David hears three months, he goes back to Jerusalem. He hears three months later, God is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. You see, wherever the presence of God is invited, God's blessing is invited in our lives. His joy, his house his peace, his, his favor, his blessing. And David hears that God is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. And he says, you know what? Let's go back and fetch the ark. Let's bring it to, the, to Jerusalem. And I spoke last week about the difference between Uzzah. Uzzah touched the ark, which was an irreverent act. He was not supposed to do that. He touched it. And, but, but Obed-Edom, he had reverence for the presence of God. I mean, think about it. He is, as David comes, hey, Obed-Edom, you're going to take care of the ark of the covenant. Well, what happened? Well, Uzzah touched it. He died. God is angry. Take care. I'm out of here. And Obed-Edom, he welcomes We spoke a little bit about that last week, that we have to invite the presence of God daily into our lives. And inviting doesn't mean, well, has he left me? No, inviting is being aware of the presence of God. You and I need to be aware. We've got to make space for the presence of God in our life. And then we need to honor the presence of God in our life. I said last week, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said this, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The word fear there is the word reverence. Reverencing. The reverence of the Lord, the reverence of God's presence in our lives is what? The beginning of wisdom. You know, so many people are, are, are maybe wise in their opinion or wise in their experience or wise on paper because they've been to school and they've got all this great resume. But Solomon says none of that is really the beginning of wisdom. The true beginning of wisdom is the fear or the reverence of a sovereign God, the creator, God Almighty, as we begin to understand who he is and, and what we're not and we live out of that reverence to God, that's the beginning of wisdom. 
wisdom, and that's the beginning of discovering what life is. The Webster's Dictionary speaks on reverence and defines it as honor or respect that is felt or shown. We're to do what? We're to honor, to respect the presence of God in our lives. We're to a profound adoring, eared respect, an awed, sorry, an awed respect. You know, sometimes as Christians, we, we lose the awe and the wonder that God who so loved us that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. And we, we have this incredible salvation moment and the, God, I'm, so, I'm a sinner and you're my savior and thank you for forgiving me and thank you for loving me and for choosing me and for removing my guilt and my shame. And we have this awe and this wonder, but so often we get wrapped up in life and we lose the awe, we lose the wonder of this God who loves us. A, a reverence is a gesture of, of respect is bowing down. And last week uh, kind of took us to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. Paul says this, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, For, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of, may be of God and not of us. So Paul's writing here saying, come on, don't you realize that God doesn't dwell in a building? In the Old Testament, he was in a tent or a temple. In the New Testament, God dwells in our lives, in our hearts. Why? Because we are his temple. Well, pastor, my life's not that great and I've got sin and thoughts if you knew me. Well, that's why Jesus died because by the shedding of his blood, your sins have been paid for and your sins have been removed. And Paul says, you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. You're the righteousness. You and I are now the temple of God's presence. And that's why Paul says, we have this treasure where? In earthly vessels of God's presence. If you're a Christ follower today, if you're someone who's put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. You are the temple of his presence, of his spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He did the work, not you. It's not about how spiritual you are, how clever you are. It's all about his grace and his mercy and the very fact that he chose you. You didn't choose yourself. You didn't choose him. He chose you and he sent his son, Jesus to come. I want to read you a couple of quotes I was reflecting on this week and on just God's presence, just the, the thought of God's presence in my life, the thought that, that I am the temple of his Holy Spirit. And I, I thought of some, some great quotes. And the first one I want to look at is Timothy Keller. Anybody here like Timothy Keller? Okay, a few of you. If you don't know Timothy Keller, you need to go read his books or study. Well, this is, he recently, Timothy Keller recently passed and just a great theologian, a great man of God in our area. He said this, to stand in the presence of God, that is what the gospel is. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness. It's not primarily about good feelings. It's not primarily about power. All those things are byproducts or sparks. It's primarily about the presence of God of God. See, that's the gospel. The gospel is that God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his one and only son. Well, why did he do that? To restore you to relationship with him. Not religion, relationship. That his presence would be in your life and that you would do, put your hand in his hand and do life with him. 
Brother Lawrence, if you've ever read Brother Lawrence, who's uh, a priest that's written a book called Practicing the Presence of God. I highly recommend that book to you. It's such a great book that will convict you of just awareness of God's presence. Brother Lawrence writes this. He says, the most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is, every moment to take great pleasure that God is with you. Oh, I like that. Brother Lawrence is saying, man, as you, as you in your life, and this is a brother that would wake up in the morning and let me start the day by saying, God, please forgive me for the sins, the thoughts, the things that I'll do this week. And then he put his head on the pillow at night and say, God, I want to repent today for missing your mark. Why, why did, and he, in his book, Practicing the Presence, why does he write that? Because he says, I don't want to grieve your spirit, your presence in my life. And he's writing it to us saying, come on, the greatest thing that you and I have, the greatest treasure is is God's presence. It's so amazing that what do we do as Christians? The minute we go into a storm, a trial, we get a bad report, a tribulation, what do we all do? God, I need you. You know, he's saying is God wants to get us to a maturity of faith that we are constantly doing life through Christ, doing life through his Holy Spirit in us. Alexander McLaren, an uh, Irish Baptist pastor, said this, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. Oh, I like that. Didn't Jesus say in John 16, verse 33, in this world, you'll have trials and tribulations? But he said what? Come to me. Why? Because in me, you're going to find peace. In this world, you're going to find all these things. He says, you can have joy. Why? Because I'm with you. And I love this because sometimes we're like, God, just get me out of trouble and then I'll have peace. No, you know what? You can have the my pillow peace that Jesus had in the boat with the storm. He, the disciples are freaking out. Jesus is sleeping. Why? Because he knew his father was with him. He knew the Holy Spirit was with him. And so he could sleep in the storm because the presence of God, some of you, you know what, in life, you're trying to get from out of storm and out of storm and out of a storm. You just want peace. Peace is found in the presence of God, not in the absence of storm. Rick Warren, I like this one. Rick Warren says, God doesn't owe us an explanation for everything. And actually what I found is that explanations don't comfort. What comforts is the presence of God not the explanation of God. Oh, I like that. Some of us are like, God, give me the answers. Give me the reasons. Give me this. Give me that. Give me the... No, no. Just have faith in my presence. Have faith that I'm with you. Remember the words of Jesus? I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I love that promise. I'm with you to the end of ages. The presence of God in our lives. So often, you know what? It's not us. We don't lose the presence of God. We take our focus off the presence of God and we begin to live out of the things of this world. So what happened to Obed-Edom? David comes and says, hey, I've heard about God's blessing you. God's doing great things, Obed-Edom. So I've come to fetch the ark now. I guess God is happy. God is at peace. Let's get the ark and take it back to Jerusalem. What happened to Obed-Edom? He had a choice. Obed-Edom had a choice to say, you know what? I'm just gonna stay put at home and I'm just gonna live off the experience that I had when God's presence was in my home. 
I'm going to live off that old experience. Or he had a choice to say, you know what? Wherever the ark is going, wherever the presence of God is going, I'm going after it. He had a choice. So what does he do? He, he gets up and he, he follows the ark of God and he ends up becoming a gatekeeper in the house of God. And we see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 17 to 18. And I'm gonna butcher these names and I might just use the, give them a letter. Okay, so the Levites appointed Haman, son of Joel, from his relatives, uh, Asaph, son of Barakiah, and from their relatives, uh, the Marinites, Ethan, the son of Kushiah, we just call him K, and with them, their relatives next in rank, Zechariah, Jaziel, uh, Sheremoth, that's a bad kind of moth, uh, Jehiel, Uni, sounds like a sushi roll, uh, Elabad, Benaniah, uh, Masiah, uh, Mattathiah, Lord have mercy, Eli, Mike, <laughs> Obed-Edom, and Jehiel, the gatekeepers. What did Obed-Edom become? He became a gatekeeper in the temple. He wasn't satisfied with just a one-time experience of God's presence in his house. He said, I've got to get up and I've got to move and I've got to follow the presence of God. I've got to stay near to the presence of God. You see, there's sometimes as Christians, you know what? We like to say this and we're all guilty. I'm guilty. Oh, I remember that youth camp. I remember that conference we had. I remember the old building. You all remember the old building before it got flooded? And you remember the things that God did? And you know what? We praise God for all those moments, those God moments and those breakthrough moments. But here's the deal. He's not done. He's not done. Sometimes we love to live off the old experiences of back in the day. No, the Bible says, behold, I do a new thing. God's not done, but like Obed-Edom, sometimes we gotta stop looking at the old and say, God, what are you doing now? Today is the day of salvation. Today is, you're moving today, and I wanna, I wanna be close to your presence, God. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna have that hunger I had years ago. Obed-Edom made a choice to get up and to become a gatekeeper. Well, what is a gatekeeper? I was researching this a little bit and going through different commentaries, a gatekeeper is someone who guards an entrance into the temple which was considered a religious function. These were not just guys, hey, you got that gate, you got that gate, and you got that. No, no, this was a religious function of, of watching the entrances into the temple. And temple gatekeepers were charged with preventing anyone unclean from entering the temple. You can find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 23, verse 19. And they were guarding the temple treasures and the storehouse, 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 26, and uh, chapter 26, verse 20 to 22. You can find these references. The, the gatekeepers had an important role. They had to watch that nothing unclean came into the temple. Why? Because God is holy. And they had to watch and they, they had to take care of the treasures, the things of God. They had a responsibility. These were gatekeepers. Obed-Edom became a gatekeeper. His eight sons became, became a gatekeepers. His grandkids, eventually 62 of them, were gatekeepers at the temple of the Lord. You know, gatekeepers are so important. They have a role and a function. In fact, uh, if you want to see modern day gatekeepers, you'll have to get on a plane and fly 10 hours to England 
and go to Buckingham Palace. At Buckingham Palace, you'll find these guards with these funny black hats. I don't know why. I'm always wondering, what's under those hats? Is there an espresso machine? Is there, you know, I don't know what's under the, those hats. Is there food? Is, but you see these guards there, and it's so funny because to many people, it's a tourist attraction. Well, let me get photos or let me mess with the guards. In fact, I got a video that went viral uh, on uh, TikTok of a young lady that was kind of messing around. So let's, let's take a look at this video. I love that video. And there was the changing of the guard happening. But you know, there's so many people that go to London and they wanna, they try to push the envelope. You see, because you can, you can boo them, you can shout at them, you know, you can dance around them, but you cannot touch them. If you touch them or you cross the line into the palace, they have the right to take you out. But what I love, and I've seen this, actually, I've been to London many times, Pastor Jan, I got to take him, uh, beginning of this year, we went to, beginning of this year, yeah, we went to Buckingham Palace, he got to see the guards and the stuff, but I've always seen tourists trying to mess around, and it's so interesting, because their job is to protect the queen. Their job is to protect, they are gatekeepers, and no one and nothing is getting past them into the palace. Now, you can holler, you can jump, you can try and do whatever, but if you touch them or try to get past them, they're gonna take you out. You know, in this world, there's gonna be so many things that wanna distract you. There's so many things that are gonna to wanna to get your attention. There's so many things that wanna sneak by the gates into your heart. The enemy, let me tell you something, we have an enemy who's real. And we have an enemy that doesn't care that you're going to heaven. He just does not want you to bring heaven to earth. In fact, Jesus was a gatekeeper. Let's read it in Matthew uh, chapter 21, verse 12 to 13. And Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And it is written, he said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. What was Jesus doing? He was going into the temple and seeing all these unclean things, all these distractions that put people's focus off God and onto the things of this world. You know what? One of my favorite verses, and you all should know this by now, Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. What does it say? Guard your heart above what? Or every, uh, above all else, sorry, in the NIV, above all else, guard your heart, why? For everything you do flows from it. Above all else, do what? Be a gatekeeper of what? Your heart. Obed-Edom was a gatekeeper in the temple. Paul says you are now God's temple and God's presence is in your life. So what is your responsibility? You need to be a gatekeeper of your heart. 
these things are gonna to wanna to distract you. Above everything going else on in your life, the craziness, the storms, the challenges, the distractions, the hopelessness, the pain, the whatever you're going through, Paul says, above everything, guard your heart. Be a gatekeeper of your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from your heart. In fact, Jesus said this in uh, Luke chapter six, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of what? The good stored up in where? His heart. An evil man brings evil out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What is Jesus saying? In life, there are people that are good gatekeepers of their heart. And because they're good gatekeepers, they won't let evil into their hearts. Guess what happens? They store up good treasures. So what comes out of their mouth? What comes out of their lifestyle? Good things. Why? Because they stored up good. But the ones that let the little foxes come in that aren't good gatekeepers, that let a little sin come in, uh, you know, a little, a little negativity, a little looking at stuff, a little entertaining stuff you shouldn't entertain and it gets into your heart, it stores up a little bit of evil. And where does that evil? Oh, I can't believe I did that. No, it's been sitting in your heart. Well, how did it get there? Because you weren't a gatekeeper. You weren't a gatekeeper. And, and Solomon is saying in Proverbs 4, verse 23, you have to guard your own heart. I have to guard, I am the gatekeeper for my heart. You are the gatekeeper for your heart. Jesus continues, in fact, he says in, in John 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I like that. Jesus is saying, as you've received this relationship with the heavenly Father, as God's presence is filling your life, there should be a flow out of your life into the world, a flow of living water, life in God, this God life I have, this joy and this peace, no matter what's going on on the outside, I have his joy, his peace, his strength, his power, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about this in September, and end of August into our new journal. The, we're gonna talk about the fruit of the Spirit the fruit that should be in our lives as believers. And as we, this, these rivers are flowing out, guess what? It's refreshing to this world. Jesus said that if you're a Christ follower, you are a light on a hill. You're a river of life to a world that is dying. But here's the question, is the river flowing out of your life, is it a refreshing river or is it a toxic river? Because if you're not a gatekeeper, the pollutants of this world will get into your heart and out of that river called life in Christ will flow toxicity and pollutants and it's not refreshing. You've gotta be a gatekeeper. You know what the world needs? It needs, to, it needs a fresh drink. You know what the world needs? The love of Jesus. You know what the world needs? The peace of God. Well, what did God choose? How did God choose to get his love and his peace into a broken world? He chose you and I, my friend. He chose his church. He chose his family. You might be the only Jesus someone ever meets. And so is there good treasures coming out of your heart? Is there a refreshing river flowing out of you? You are the gatekeeper for your heart. You're the temple of God's spirit. You're the gatekeeper of his presence in your life. So the question this morning is, how well are you doing? How well are you doing at guarding your heart? Are you letting the cares weigh you down? Are you letting the disappointments weigh you down? 
See, the good news today is in the moments where we don't, where we're not great, good gatekeepers, in those moments where we, we're not taking care of our hearts, in the moments where our hearts are to- toxic, the good news is this. We can, like David, we can pray the prayer of say, God, would you search my heart and would you know me and would you reveal anything in me, God, that I need to repent of or say sorry because, God, I don't wanna lose your presence in my life, God. I wanna be a better gatekeeper of your presence and your plans and your purposes for my life, God. I don't wanna miss out. I want to walk in everything you have for my life, but you've got to learn to be a gatekeeper. So how, how do I be a, a good gatekeeper of my heart? How do, I, how do I keep my heart right? I'm going to give you three things if you're taking notes. Number one, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be filled. And let me stop there, because when I say righteousness, I'm not talking about your righteousness. I'm talking about his righteousness. Hunger and thirst to be right with God. Oh God, everybody needs to be right with me. It's it's not your kingdom we're worshiping. It's his kingdom. God, as for me, I, I wanna be right with you. That's the most important thing in my life, God, is a a hunger and a thirst to walk in this righteousness. You made me righteous through Jesus. You gave me the greatest gift and treasure, your forgiveness, your mercy, new life. And now as I live my life, I hunger and I thirst to be close to you, Jesus. I want your righteousness. I wanna live in your righteousness. You see, in life, you're always going to have appetites. What is the appetite of your soul today? Think about it. In fact, Jesus put it, puts it this way. Where your treasure is, whatever the treasure that you're chasing is, there your heart will be too. So I'm asking you today is maybe the treasure, the thing you're hungering for and thirsting for is not the thing that will really satisfy you. Maybe today you need to say, I need a new appetite. And the appetite I need in my life is, God, I want to be close to you. I want to live in this freedom. I want to, I want to be right with you, God. The second thing, seek first these kingdom. You know how you guard your heart? You know how you become a great gatekeeper of God's presence in your life? You put him first. You put him first. Matthew chapter six, verse 33, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom. And what? His righteousness. Not my righteousness, his righteousness. And all things will be given to you as well. Jesus in Matthew six is saying, people are worrying about this and worrying about that. And how am I gonna make tomorrow? How am I gonna have food on the table? And Jesus says, come on, would you just stop? And would you put God first in your life? Would you seek him first? And as you do that, as you realize who he is, he's gonna take care of you. Because why? His presence is in your life. You're his temple. He paid a price. Paul said in Corinthians, he bought you with a price, his son, Jesus. But a hunger and thirst to be close to him. And then put him first. I don't know today, but let me ask you this question. In your life right now, where is God second or third? Ask him. God, in my life, 
Where are you not number one in my life? Where am I putting things above you? And if I am, show me, God, so that I can do what? I can say sorry, but then I want to make a decision to put you first, God. Why? Because I'm your temple and you're holy and you chose me. And I don't want to miss out on what you have for my life. So today, give me a hunger, God. Make me thirsty for you. Help me to put you first. First in my thought life. Third, first with my calendar. First with my talents, first with my finances, first in my marriage. God, I'm gonna put you at the center. In our marriage, you're at the top. We're, as we grow closer to you, we grow closer to each other. Put you first. First with my kid. I'm gonna put you first when it comes to raising my kids. My relationships and my friendships, my job. I'm gonna put you first. Paul says in Colossians chapter three, verse one to three, since then, he's You've been raised with Christ. You've you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You are now the temple of his presence. You're the gatekeeper of your heart. What must you do? Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand. And set your minds on what? Things above, not on earthly things. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What is Paul saying there when you died? He is saying when you asked Jesus into your life, you made a decision to make him the Lord. You no longer call the shots in your life. You are now his temple and his presence is in your life. So he's first in your life. Now you set your mind on things above. You don't deal with earthly things. You're not looking at life from an earthly. You're staying away from things of this world and you wanna live in right standing. So you're thinking purely things. You, you're living out of, out of love and the fruits of the Spirit. You, you're living to please God, not man. You set your heart. My heart is yours. God, see, what we should be praying every day is not God, can you complete my bucket list? But God, could you show me how, God, I can please you? How do I please you? And the third one, if you're taking notes, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seek first his kingdom. Number three, follow his presence. Obed-Edom had to literally say this, God's ark is moving, his presence is moving. I can live on yesterday's breakthroughs and blessings or I can go after today's presence. Here to get up. There's some of you today, come on, you know God has been saying to you, come on, get up and open your Bible. Hey, get up and get to church more. Come on, get up and find a group. Get up and serve somebody. Get up and do something for me. But you're sitting there and you're wondering why. Why don't I feel God afresh? Why don't I see God moving in my life? Because you're living off yesterday's bread. God has fresh bread today, but you gotta get up. You gotta go after it. You gotta want it. There's some of you today, it's time to pick up the life journal again. There's some of you, come on, it's time to just get on your knees and pray just two minutes tomorrow. I don't have to do this. Well, God, I'm back. It's like some of us at New Year's, we go to gym. We'll buy new sneakers and new gym outfits. We'll even get the new Apple Watch because that's gonna make me lose weight. And then we go, I spent 800 bucks on that watch and it did nothing. Why? Because the watch ain't gonna change you. You gotta get up and go to gym. You gotta lift some weights. You gotta get on the bicycle. You gotta get on the elliptical. See, we can have all these great ideas. Oh God, when you do this, oh God, no, no. Just get up, get on your knees, open your Bible. When last have you spoken to him? Oh, pastor, I think you're shouting at me. 
I'm trying to pump you up. Because we want a little cookie-cut Christianity. Oh, just give me a little bit of Jesus. Just give me a little fun message on a Sunday. No, no, I'm trying to tell you something. The enemy is after your heart. If you can get your heart in a mess, out of your heart will come evil. Out of your heart, will, you'll speak things that'll push you away from his presence and not draw you into his presence. See, the enemy doesn't care that you're going to heaven. He just doesn't want you to live heaven on earth. But you gotta be a gatekeeper. It's not easy. Oh, pastor, if you know what people are saying about me, doesn't matter what they're saying. What does he say? What does he say? What is he saying to you? Well, let me tell you, laugh. You're gonna have people that love you and people that hate you. Get over it. Get over it. At the end of the day, man shall not live by bread alone, by the very word. What do you have to say? What do you have to say to me today, God? He says, I know the plans and purposes I have for you. Guess what? We're waiting for the automatically just download it all, give it all to me. And God says, no, 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 no. It's called relationship. Well, how do you know that? Because guess what? I can buy my daughter Shay. Because now Shay loves gifts. Believe me, her love language is gifts. But I know that if I'm a dad that just takes her to all these different stores every day and buys her gifts and yes, yes, gifts, 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 guess what? Those gifts can get me to a place where I end up with no relationship. Oh, I love my daddy, why? Because he buys me gifts. I don't want to be that dad. I want Shay to say, I love my daddy because he's a great man of God. I love my daddy because he's always close to me. I love my daddy because he prays with me at night. I love my daddy, why? Because relationship, relationship. We want with God. God wants relationship. And so often, God, do this and do that and I'll serve you. No, no, no. God, I want to know you. I don't... I don't just want to seek your hands, God. I want to seek your face. I want to know you. For God so loved you. He gave his one and only son. Jesus died on the cross. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was mocked. Why did he go through all of that? Because only Jesus could restore you to relationship with a heavenly Father. And Paul says it so beautifully. He says, we now can call God Abba, Father. And the Jews are like, you have lost it. You're crazy. You can't say that about Jehovah, Abba, Father. You know what Abba, Father means? It's a kid's term of my daddy. So many of us, God is saying, I know that you love me as this God and creator and sovereign, but would you let me be your heavenly father? Intimate relationship. Well, pastor, that's for you because you're so spiritual and you know the Bible and you've studied and you've been in ministry. No, my friend, guess what? When I get to heaven, there's no titles. There's no pastor section. This is for everybody. For God so loved you, my friend. He wants relationship. That's why the scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. God, help me to guard my heart. Help me to be a gatekeeper because I don't want anything unclean to get into my heart because if unclean things get into my heart, 
it makes my heart toxic. And I don't want a toxic heart. I want your presence. Because your presence is everything. Your presence. David in the midst of sin. Bathsheba. He says this to God. It's God, please. I've missed the mark. I've done all this. I've done all that. God, please. I've got kingdoms. I've got palaces. I've got this. I've got that. Please. I've sinned. I've missed. God, please, please. Do not take your spirit away from me. God, don't take your presence. It's the greatest thing we have. It's every eyes closed and head is bowed really quickly. Maybe today you know about Jesus. Maybe today you know about religion. Maybe today you even know the Bible backwards. But my question today is, do you know Jesus personally? Do you have a relationship with him? Well, pastor, let me fix my life. Here's the good news. You don't have to, and you never can. The greatest decision you could ever make is to invite Jesus into your heart. The greatest decision you could ever make is to say, thank you, Jesus. You paid the price for my sins on the cross. You died for me. And today I can have new life and a new beginning. Today I can hope. Hope is alive because Jesus, you are alive. As every eye is closed and head is bowed today, if you want to invite Jesus into your life, if you know there's something missing in my life, I don't have what you've been talking about today, pastor. I don't have this presence. I haven't been a good gatekeeper of my heart. My heart, in fact, is in a mess. The good news is God can give you a new heart today. He'll wash you clean and give you a new beginning, but you've got to invite him in. If that's you, so that you today, his eyes are closed and heads are bowed. In this room and online, why don't you just raise your hand. Say, Pastor, today, thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Today, I'm inviting his presence. Thank you, young man. Thank you. I'm going to cross the room here. Yeah. I see you in the back. Thank you. Today's the day. Thank you. I want to invite this presence, this God into my life. I need the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together, all together. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you today for giving me a new heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash my life clean. Teach me how to be a gatekeeper. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, would you fill my life? Come fill my life. Thank you today, God, for your presence in my life. I'm your temple. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's give them a hand this morning.